Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. Uh, we are continuing our series in Ignite, and uh, one of the things I was thinking about this message this week, I remember when my kids were little, and one of the things that would happen is kids are fantastic because whenever you go to a park or whenever you go to a place that's new, every person is just a friend that they don't know yet, right? So they don't have all the biases and pain and hurt that we have as we go through life, and so you know, these conversations would unfold as they're playing at parks or schools or whatever. And one of the first questions they would always ask is, who's your best friend? Like, they always want to know who the best friend is. Who's your best friend? And, oh, let me tell you about my best friend, Bobby or Susie or whoever it was. And, you know, they'd come home and tell us about their best friends. Now they're grown up. We don't talk about Now it's more just that. I don't have a best friend. I have friends. And I'm like, okay, I got it. Who are your friends? And how's that going? Uh, but I have these little nieces and nephews now. They're amazing, like from eight to like 18 months. And they're so cute because they're asking the same question. They'll ask me, who's your best friend? And I'm like, well, my best friend's Holiday. <gasps> Aunt Holiday's your best friend? I'm like, yes, yeah, she's amazing, isn't she? You know, and I'm like, who's your best friend? And they're like, oh, and then tell me all about their best friend. And they always just want to talk about their best friend. So who's your best friend? I mean, as I'm having this conversation, who's your best friend? And I know maybe you're like my kids, and you're like, I don't have a best friend. I have friends. Okay, then who are your friends? Who are your friends in life? You know, the friends, friends that you laugh with, friends that you, you, know, you share memories with, that you create adventures with, that maybe you go on vacations with, and you have this awesome life, friends that you have defining moments, or you go see movies, or go try new restaurants together. Friends that not just help you laugh, but they feel safe enough to allow you to cry. They'll let you just be all of who you are with them without judgment or shame or condemnation. You can feel vulnerable and hurt. Friends who know your dreams. They know what you hope for, what you long for, what you're desperate to see happen either in your own life personally or desperate to see happen in the world. Those kinds of friends. Friends who encourage you. Friends who maybe send you texts or just notes or emails of encouragement. They won't allow you to settle for anything less than the best of what this life has to offer. Who are those kind of friends? The friends that steer you away from the lies or the fears or the biases or the worries that keep us confined. Those kind of friends that allow us to walk into the fullest life that, that Jesus promises and he wants us to live. Do you have someone like that? Maybe you, someones like that in your life? Because we talk about here all the time that we were created and designed for relationship. First and foremost with God. He's the one who shows us even how to have healthy relationship, created us for it. But we also have to have healthy relationship with one another. We were created and designed for it. And we know the dangers of loneliness. All of us know the dangers of loneliness because all of us went through this global pandemic where we were isolated. And over time, it, 
It became something that consumed us. We saw anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and loneliness start to cave in on all of us. We couldn't wait to get back when restaurants and coffee shops and even churches were open so we could be together and do this again. Remember those days? They're not that long ago. And not only that, it it was startling to me just to look at some statistics on loneliness It's crazy. One thing I read, it said that loneliness, even whether it's actual or real, so the feelings of it, or if you just feel alone in life, it's essentially like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the kind of toll that it takes on your body physically, not to mention emotionally and mentally, just the distance. Loneliness is a prison. And so who do you have? Who are your friends? And who are you a friend to? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. So we walk through this series, Ignite. We're looking at defining passages where we can anchor our life of faith. And today, we're going to look at one of the most delightful and adventurous passages about the story of a group of friends and how they encountered Jesus together. And you're going to see these four qualities that come out of their life. It's what you would want to look for in a friend, and it's who you would want to be as a friend as you walk through life. And you're going to see that the best friends are ones that help you walk in the healing and the freedom that only Jesus can provide. So I want to invite you guys, grab your Bibles, turn to Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. If you need a Bible, as always, there's a bunch back there at the Next Step Center. I'd love for you to have a Bible. Take one with you. Somebody was just telling me, got, took one this morning, gave one away this week. Perfect. I want everyone to have a Bible. Mark chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. So we read these words, but I want you just for a minute just to imagine what's really taking place here because it's pretty spectacular. So you got to imagine a first century home. So you shrink this whole space down to kind of the size of that corner. First century homes were like that, and they were divided predominantly into four rooms with kind of an outside courtyard. And so that place is packed. Isn't Isn't it amazing how people always were captivated by Jesus? Like as Jesus' ministry started unfolding, it's like people would always gather. They'd want to hear what he had to say. They believed in his teachings. They would experience his power and his presence. They wanted to get to Jesus. And it was interesting. It's not just then. It's even today. Thousands of years later, right? Most people, they're compelled by Jesus. We're captivated by Jesus. My hope and my bet is that most of you showed up today really looking to meet Jesus, You wanted to learn more about him and what that looks like. You kind of know that that for me and for all of us, we don't have a ton to offer you. The best thing we have to offer is Jesus. And so crowds would gather just like they do today, and they'd want to hear and experience Jesus. But it was so packed that as these men, as they're showing up, they couldn't even get close. So on, on these houses, there'd be these outside staircases. There'd be these flat roofs that were made predominantly of what they had, right? Some wood and sticks and dirt and mud and whatever they had. So they climb up the staircase onto this flat roof 
which by the, think about, you know, all you guys with the flat roofs and the rooftop balconies today, first century homes had the amazing views. It's not just you, you know what I mean? So they're up there and they start digging through the roof. And one of the things that we get to see is they're digging through, right? Dirt starts falling. Everybody's packed in there and you probably hear some steps and you think it's an animal or something, whatever's crawling around up there. And pretty soon dirt would start falling through. People are getting out of the way, like, what's happening? You know, Jesus is trying to talk. They're trying to listen. And over time, it just starts getting pretty quiet. You know, as all of a sudden light starts breaking through and everybody's wondering, what in the world is going on? But here's what's important. These friends knew they had to get to Jesus. They had to get to Jesus. And that's the first thing that you need to look for in friends. And that's the first thing you want to be as a friend, is someone who goes, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. It's not me. It's not my thoughts. It's not my wisdom. It's not my opinions. It's not anything. I believe that Jesus is going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to heal you. He is going to have everything that you need. And it's like, we got to get to Jesus. And so it's interesting. You think about this man and these friends, and, and I don't know, just the creative wonder that God gives us. We know that this was a man right, who was paralyzed. And it's interesting as I think of it, like, did he ask to go to Jesus? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he had heard. Maybe he knew. Maybe he knew there was no way he could get to him. He's paralyzed. He's lying on a mat. Maybe he asked his friends, would you please take me to Jesus? And that was their desperation. Or maybe, maybe he didn't want to. Maybe he was yelling and screaming at them the whole way. I don't want to go to Jesus. I don't, what are you guys doing? Put me down. I mean, there's nothing he could do, right? And they're like, we're taking you to Jesus because this is what you need. Maybe imagine being lowered down in front of an entire crowd of people right in front of Jesus. Was he thrilled? Was he full of hope? Was he like, ah, oh, this is everything I'd wanted? Or was he embarrassed? Was he overwhelmed at the attention? Was he thinking, I don't know. I don't know. And imagine those friends. We don't know a lot about the friends. We know they had a sense of concern. We know they had some care. We know that they saw a friend that was in pain and in need and desperate, and they knew that they needed to get him to Jesus. But how far did they walk? Did they walk around the corner? Or did they have to walk miles? Were they two towns away? Had it taken them days to get there? I don't know. I don't know. But we knew they had to get to Jesus. So do you have friends that are like that? Do you have friends that when you're facing issues or questions or fears or doubts, problems in your life that seem insurmountable, is their first response, we've got to get you to Jesus? Are you that kind of friend to people? Is that your first thought or your kind of last thought? What does Jesus have to say about this? Because that's one of the first things we learn about friendship. And for some of you, when I ask you who your friends are, instantly it comes to mind and I can see it on your faces because I see the nods. I get the sense of peace. Some of you, right, you're just kind of elbowing the person next to you or grabbing hand. That's awesome. But for some of you, Maybe you feel this sense of loneliness start to settle in. Maybe you have friends, but maybe they're not like these friends. Maybe the walls of loneliness or isolation start to cave in, and it's more of a longing than something you're experiencing. 
But you see, it's something you're created for. It's something you're designed for. It's something that God wants all of us to experience, friends like this. For me, I remember different seasons of my life, seasons of joy, great celebration and laughter, times when Holiday and I, as we're raising our kids, we would go adventuring you know, all the time, even vacationing with families in the same life stage. It would just be totally out of control, and it was totally okay. All these shared memories and laughter, just about not having a clue what we're doing as parents, but we're going to find our way. And I remember many of those same friends are the ones to this day that I'll get texts or notes or emails of encouragement randomly sometimes. Sometimes they know I'm going through hard things. Sometimes they know I'm wrestling with stuff. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I see you. Hey, I care about you. And sometimes they don't. They'll just send me things. I got an email this week from a, a friend of mine, a mentor, who I've had for years and years and years, and he just sent me two passages of Scripture. So I was thinking about you and God's faithfulness. Maybe this is for you. And it was exactly what I needed this week. Do you have friends like that? Friends that will get you to Jesus? And are you that kind of friend? So we're in this packed house. We've got these friends that have dug a hole. The silence would be overwhelming in the space. Jesus and everybody step back. All of a sudden, there's this man lying on a mat in front of the crowds, and everybody's wondering, what's going to happen next? Verse 5, it says, seeing their faith... Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Exactly. That's probably how quiet it was in the room. Everybody's like, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure that's why that guy came. I mean, it's like we've heard stories of healing and miracles. He might be looking for something along the lines of walking. You know what I mean? So it's nice that your sins are forgiven, but, but here's the thing. A couple things we learn in this. The second thing is, is you, you've got to put feet to your faith in order to experience everything Jesus wants you to experience. So you've got to get to Jesus, but you've got to put feet to your faith. And we see this in a couple things. The first one is the first three words, seeing their faith. Jesus saw their faith. He saw it because they had lived it out. He saw it because they didn't take no for an answer. He saw it because they had dug a hole in the roof of these people's house and lowered them down. He saw it because of their effort and their care and their concern. He saw it. It wasn't like they were just concerned about their friend, and it's like, oh, I care for you. You know what? I'm going to be praying for you. It wasn't something they thought about. It wasn't, I hope you get better. It wasn't that. It was like, we have to do something. We have to get you to Jesus, and they weren't going to take no for an answer. And it was interesting because they got there. The house was full, and it's not like they said, oh, man, all right, well, let's go back. We'll come back tomorrow. Right? Maybe we'll catch Jesus when he's done on the way out. It's like, no, we're going to find a way. It's like they weren't going to take no for an answer. He saw their faith. And that's the whole thing is you got to put faith into action. We talk about this all the time. And what about Jesus? How does he respond then to their faith? My child just looks at this man lying in front of him. And I would imagine just with a lot of delight said, oh, my child. He saw their faith, these men peering through above, and the man in the oh, my child. You see, we know, like I said, that this wasn't a little boy. This term is a term of endearment. It's a term of compassion. It's a term of care. And he's saying, I see you, and I love you. Ah, oh, and your faith is so beautiful. Your faith is so beautiful that you were willing to put feet to your faith? 
All of you? Oh, this is unbelievable. That you're experiencing the fullness of life the way I promised. And here's what's interesting. It's not just that compassion. Why do you think he'd say your sins are forgiven? Here's the thing you got to know about Jesus. He's always going to deal with the deepest need in your life. Always. So we may come to Jesus and we may think that, Jesus, I need healing, and that may be very real. We may think, God, I really want you to work here, and that we really do. And we may think, God, Jesus, if only you would work here. And he's going to listen, but what he's really going to reach in and deal with is the deepest need in our life. If you're just willing to put feet to your faith, he'll look at you with just delight and say, my child, and he will work in the deepest part of your life. And for all of us, that begins with our sin. It begins with the brokenness in our life. It begins with the subtle places we've settled for less than God's best. It begins with the prisons of shame or guilt or fear or pride or greed or habits and addictions that overwhelm us. It's all of those things. Jesus is going to look in and say, yeah, let's get to the healing. But first, the most important thing is the greatest need. Let me forgive. And that's the starting point for Jesus, for all of us. And so the question is, are you ready Are you willing to put feet to your faith? Are you ready to act on a belief that Jesus is the answer? Are you ready to come just with a sense of humility and courage and put yourself in front of him and let him just talk to you? Let him love you. Let him extend compassion and care and get to the deepest needs. That's what they were experiencing. And so what's the real need in your life today? What's the deepest thing? The thing you're afraid to talk about. Maybe the thing that you never want to put out in front of anyone, let alone Jesus. Here's the thing. I don't know what that is, but I know that Jesus already does. And I know that he's here. And I know that he's just looking at you and just saying, my child, let's talk about that. Why don't you just give me that? Why don't you let me walk you into a life of forgiveness and freedom and wholeness and wisdom and grace and compassion in ways that you never have before? But why don't we do that? What holds us back? Lots of different reasons. They're different for all of us, but one of them we see even lived out in this passage. I love the honesty of the Bible. We talk about that a lot. We just get to see. I mean, people in this story, they had some obstacles. We talked about some of the obstacles that might have existed, whether it was for the man or for his friends. We talked about the physical obstacles of the crowds and the people and all of the barriers that my bet is you guys had to fight through some things even to get to church this morning. It always works out that way. Like, you just have to fight. So there's these physical obstacles, but sometimes, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago, oftentimes the biggest obstacles and barriers we face aren't out there, they're in here. 
They're in our own hearts, they're in our own minds, they're in our own souls, and we see this in this story. There's this group of people called the Pharisees, right? Religious leaders that had decided what all the boundaries in life look like. Who could do what and, and who couldn't and why? They know what should be allowed to happen and when and what can't. And so all of a sudden, they start grumbling and complaining about Jesus declaring and dealing with the deepest need in this guy's life, the forgiveness of sins. Does he have the authority to do that? I mean, is this really Jesus? Can't God do that? Who's this guy? So they start wrestling essentially with the identity of Jesus. And is this possible? And so we see Jesus's response in verse eight. It says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And we see that this is the third thing that all of us, whether it's the man or the friends or the people in the room listening or the Pharisees, have to confront, and that is you've got to face your fears. You have to face your fears when you come to Jesus. You have to face your biases. You have to face your doubts. You have to face your concerns. You have to face, because what were they afraid of? Well, remember, they were afraid to lose something. They were afraid to lose power. They were afraid to lose influence. They were afraid to lose their authority. They were afraid to lose what? Control of their life and their story and even the people around them. They had a lot to lose. They were afraid of that. And you contrast that with the humility and the dependence of the man and his friends and what it took for them to say, we got to get to Jesus and we're going to put feet to our faith. You got to face your fears regardless of what it is. And Jesus, his, his term that he used most often for himself was the son of man because he's constantly in a not so subtle way saying, am I, am I just the son of a man or am I the man? And you got to decide, who do you believe Jesus is? That's essentially what he's putting in front of them. Because here's the thing. All of us, as we go through life, oftentimes we want Jesus to be our Savior. We just don't want him to be our Lord. We want all of the things that he provides in the forgiveness of sins. We want forgiveness. We want his grace. We want the compassion and the care. We want him to look at us and say, my child, we want the freedom and the life and the hope that all of that brings. But we just don't want him to be the king of our life. We don't really want to listen to him for every thought and every decision that we make. It gets a little more challenging when he invites us into places of generosity or compassion or care or kindness, when he starts asking us about our biases or our doubts or our fears and why those things are holding us back, or asking us just to show up with humility before him and dependence. You see, we all want the things that the kingdom offers, forgiveness and grace and kindness and hope and love and compassion. We just don't want the king that comes along with it. Are you willing to face your fears as it relates to defining and allowing Jesus to be not just the savior of your life, the Lord of your life. And that's what's happening in this passage. Jesus is standing right there in front of everyone just the same. But so many people missed who he was. So many people missed the healing and the hope and the freedom and the life that he wanted to offer because they weren't willing to face their fear. 
So are you willing to face your fear? Are you willing to let go of control? Are you willing to wholeheartedly listen to Jesus? Because like I said earlier, the best thing that I, that we have to offer you is Jesus. It's not my thoughts or our thoughts or our opinions. Worship, community, these things are all fantastic. But really, what I want more than anything is for you to experience him. Get to know him. Listen to him. Follow him. But that means you're going to have to put feet to your faith and you're going to have to face your fear and whatever obstacles might be preventing you from walking into that. Jesus continues in verse 10. He says, he turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. I love this because this shows us the final thing we get to walk in, and that is we have to share our story. We have to share our story. I think it's fascinating, right? Our stories are what gives courage. Our stories are what give hope. Our stories are what build faith as we walk through life. And it's, it's our story. It's fascinating that this man of faith, he had to put feet to his faith even in that moment. His friends are the ones that put feet to their faith when they brought him. He had to put feet to his faith when Jesus said, okay, stand up. He had never stood up before. He didn't know what that felt like. He probably was like, I don't even know how to do this. But he, he had to try. He had to lean into that moment. And then Jesus says what? Not just stand up, pick up your mat. It's interesting, right? I don't think Jesus was just up about tidying up the house, right? I don't think he was just, hey, make sure you take your things with you on your way out. I don't think that was it. I think it's like, take this mat up. And, and there's some theologians would say you'd roll it up and you'd carry it. Or some, it would be made out of, you know, some wood and everything. Either way, he's got to carry it. And he's saying, take your mat and go home. And what would happen is this man's carrying this mat out the door, and he starts getting to his house and his town and places, and people are like, is that you? Wait, why are you carrying that mat? And he'd go, ha, let me tell you my story. I've got these friends. And even if I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go, but they said, you've got to get to Jesus. And they took me to Jesus, and I wanted to believe, but I didn't really believe. And then there's two packed, and I wanted to go, and they said no. And they're cutting holes in the roof, and they're lowering me down. And Jesus said, you got to stand up. And so I tried. I stood up. And all of a sudden, look at I can walk. And so now this mat, this thing that had been holding me, this thing that confined me, this prison that I've been living in, look it, it doesn't have any power anymore because of Jesus. See, he got to share his story. And the stories that we have are our scars. They're our pain. They're our mats, things that held us, things that imprisoned us. And now all of a sudden, oh, Jesus healed that. I get to walk in freedom and in a new life because what? Because I got to Jesus, because I put feet to my faith, because I faced my fear. And now... I just get to share my story and walk in freedom, go home. And my bet, maybe, maybe those friends, maybe they had stories. Maybe that's why they had to get this friend to Jesus. It's like, we know Jesus is the answer. He's the only way. He can do this. They're the ones that took no for an answer. And see, your best friends, they're the ones that are going to do these things. 
Your best friends are the ones that are going to get you to Jesus and know that he's the answer. They're the ones that are going to put feet not just to their faith, but help you put feet to your faith. They're the ones that will walk you up to your fear and help you even crash through it so that you can experience Jesus. Just look at you and say, oh, my child, with all the compassion and kindness and care and love in the world so that he can heal. So who are your friends? Who's your best friend? Are they friends like this? And are you this kind of friend for someone else? This is the invitation of community that's different about people that choose to follow Jesus together. It's the power of the church. And there's nothing like it. I got to experience it at so many different seasons in my life. But one of the most powerful ones is I'm writing this this week. I thought about some friends. Holiday and I came crashing into this season of transition and change in our life that we never saw coming. It was one of the most startling and confusing and disruptive times of our entire life. And you know what we did? We isolated. We did what most people would do. We're just like... I just want to survive. And in those moments, we'd have friends that would poke at us. And we had some friends specifically that after a while grabbed us and said, you've got to get to Jesus with us. You've got to come to church. And so we started coming back to church with them after a few times, and we'd sit in the very back of this, of this church. And this one Sunday, the pastor was talking about Jesus and about his kindness and his compassion and about how he wanted to restore dreams and hope and how he wanted to heal things in people's lives and about how there was a future that was beyond anything we could experience and I knew that he was talking to me. And it was so beautiful. And I felt so affirmed where I was sitting back there and at the end he said, so here's what we're gonna do. We just wanna pray over you. And so if that's you, if you feel like Jesus is talking to you today, we just want you to come down and and just let our elders and our staff and our leaders, let's just pray over each other. And I just saw as people would go, and I thought, that's so amazing. And Holiday and I are just standing there, and I'm thinking, I'm not going down front. I'm so good right here. Jesus can talk to me right here. And our friends were sitting down a couple seats, and they're kind of looking, and they're like, we'll go with you. Like, let's go. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and so finally, I was sitting on the aisle, and they just started walking and kind of shoved Holiday and I out in the aisle. <laughs> and so I'm like, I guess, we're, I guess we're doing this. You know, and so they just grabbed us and walked down. We got down front just to see a people and... Just felt our friends' hands on our backs. And just got in a posture that I invite you guys to take every single week. And we had a chance just to receive as people prayed over us and into us. And that was a marker and a defining moment where God would renew hope. And he settled our souls with peace. And he started to even invite 
dreams again. Promises that he had given started coming back. Because we had friends that knew we needed to get to Jesus. that made us put feet to our faith. That forced me to face my fear so that I could get everything that Jesus wanted out of that moment for my life. This is what I want for you. And this is what I know Jesus wants for you. And so today, as we close, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to experience God's word and God's presence with me. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and I'm going to invite our prayer team, our pastors, our leaders, our staff. Every single week, we talk about our prayer team, and I'm just going to invite them not to go over there. I'm going to invite them just to come right up here. And I want to give you the chance to come to Jesus and let him speak to you. Look at you and say, my child, with a ton of compassion and care, and deal with the deepest parts of you so that you can find the kind of freedom and hope that I did and that this man did. You see, James chapter 5, it says this, are any of you suffering hardships? Then you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders, leaders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sin, you'll be forgiven. Are any of you suffering? Any of you in hard places? Any of you in trouble? You should pray. You should be prayed for. Maybe some of you are facing physical challenges. Maybe they're new. You just found out about them this week. Maybe some of you, they're chronic. You've lived with them. And you've given up hope. You should pray. You should pray. Maybe for some of you, there's relational pain that you've lived with for so long, it's just numbed you. Maybe there's bitterness or resentment that keep relationships at a distance, whether it's with you and a friend or a family member or a coworker. You should pray. Let God heal. Maybe for some of you, it's the loneliness. The one thing I'd say is you're with and among friends. I didn't name our church, but I love the name of our church. And you are. Maybe for some of you, it is spiritual. Maybe your fear, your doubt, your desire to control your life, your story, that has been what's driving you. And it's time just with humility and dependence to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, not just the Savior of my life. I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to stand wherever you're at.
Let me just pray over you. If you would, just close your eyes, bow your heads. So, Father, as we continue just listening and responding to the fullness of who you are, your love for us, your care for us, your compassion for us, I pray that you would stir in our hearts just the humility and the courage to put feet to our faith and to face whatever fears or obstacles we might have in coming before you. I pray that you would give us the humility and the courage to live out this passage among friends. Just to see and experience your faithfulness and healing and compassion in tangible and real and maybe even new ways in our life. And so God, would you speak to us as we worship and respond to you? And we pray this in the power of your name, Jesus. Amen. So this is your time. This is your time. I invite you guys with all the humility and courage that it would take to just step out and come down and be prayed for. Maybe for some of you, <laughs> you're with someone, like my friends, kind of looking down, eyeballing, like, hey, just shove them out in the aisle. <laughs> just grab them by the hand and say, let's go. I don't want you to miss what Jesus has for you this morning. Let's sing. Let's pray.